We've had quite a month. Let me think. Dr. Jim Houston, 95, the age of our school. I want it on the record. I have invited him back for our centennial. And he said yes. I didn't promise him a full speaking session. I promised him a devotional, but wouldn't that be amazing to have him come back to celebrate his 100th with ours in five years? Thank God for Jim Houston. And then, Pat, uh, let's see, what was his name? Oh, Christopher Ewan. Wasn't that great? Like, wow, what a great perspective on living our Christian lives as holy followers of Christ. What a great guy. And his transparency, wasn't that something, eh? Like, wow, vulnerable. Love that guy. And then last week, Kevin and Julia Garrett, boy, they have been through the trenches, haven't they? God put this semester together, this term, this month together for us. Uh, because I assure you, we could not have magically pulled that together without him tipping his beaker and giving us his blessings. All these different things lined up. And then... Uh, yesterday I saw this card in my inbox from all of us on the solitary refinement team. Did you enjoy that play? Yeah, that was something, wasn't it? To all at Prairie College, thank you so much for your heart, for the persecuted, for your prayers, and for your welcome. So I want to say thank you for digging in and enjoying that day of prayer as one of our holy days. And they have all kinds of scrawling. I would try and read them, but I'm afraid I'd mispronounce some of them. I saw Greg in there, but anyway. And today we are turning to a very important topic, John 17, the prayer of Jesus for his people. It's going to be an in it's a really important message that's in here. And I'm so delighted to have my friend, Dr. Michael Powalki here from Briarcrest. Michael is a Gordon Conwell, a graduate. He's been a pastor in Ontario. I've gotten to know him over the last few years as he's been looking after Briarcrest, and we've been doing our similar thing here. It's lovely to have a similar sister school here on campus. It's his first time, and I'm hoping that after I pray, you will give him a huge welcome. Embarrass him and blow the roof off. Would you come on up, Michael, while I pray for you? Father, we thank you. For Michael, we thank you for this message of love for one another. We thank you for the work we can do showing love in prayer for one another. Now we pray that you would anoint Michael with your spirit. We pray that you would bless him so that he can be a blessing to us and to others as he goes on his way back to Briarcrest. Let them know our love for them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Well, thank you very much for that welcome. Uh, I'm just glad you didn't egg my car out there. Was, I was just really pleased. Uh, let me just add my thanks to the worship team for uh, turning our, our attention Godward. And uh, uh, Mark, thanks for your kind words. Somebody said what our, our speaker needs, no introduction. What he needs is a conclusion. Uh, but um, really, I've been looking forward to being here. And, and Mark's words uh, were true. We, we've formed a, a wonderful friendship over the last few years. Uh, we're both transplants from Ontario. Uh, or maybe I should say immigrants, or maybe escapees. 
but, but we're happy to be. We keep that in the down low, but, but it is uh, our shared uh, reality. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you about uh, prayer of intercession from John 17. But before we do, uh, Mark said, bring some material on the seminary. Just give us a snapshot in the seminary. So Briarcrest is the partnership of three Christ-centered, Bible-anchored, ministry-focused schools, high school, college, and seminary. And our seminary uh, is completely recognized with the Association of Theological Schools, ATS, and we have uh, your classical uh, MDiv program. We have MAs in Biblical Studies, New Testament, Old Testament, Theological Studies, MA in Leadership and Management, uh, an MA in Marriage and Family, an MA in Counseling, and we also have um, a number of certificates. And we have some of your staff and many of your grads who are uh, at our seminary. And let me just say this about our seminary. Our seminary is entirely modular. And what's so attractive uh, about this model of education is, is, is our men and women are in ministry, in marketplace settings, extract themselves for a week, do some pre-course work, intensive week, and then some post-course work. And so uh, for those of you who are considering uh, going on in education as you enter into ministry or marketplace settings, uh, love to have a conversation uh, with you about that. And I'll be here. Uh, throughout the day, and so if you want to grab me after chapel, we can have a little bit of a conversation. I would welcome that opportunity. Well, take your Bible and turn to John 17. And as you're turning there, let me just remind us all of the context. This has been a tremendously emotionally intense evening for Christ. This is the Passover. They are in rented facilities. They all looked at each other when they arrived, and Jesus had to take the initiative and wash their feet. They've celebrated what we now call communion, the Lord's Supper. And Jesus had some very intense conversations as he's told them he's leaving, but he's not leaving them alone. He's going to leave the Holy Spirit with them, and he's preparing them for what would, what would become some very difficult days for his disciples. And at the end of this season, at the end of this tremendously intense evening, Jesus prays. And he prays a prayer of intercession, which is a prayer on behalf of others. He's praying for his disciples, and we're going to see from this passage that he's not only praying for his disciples, he's praying for, for you and I today. He doesn't pray for himself. In the garden, there's acknowledgement of of his weakness and his concern, his, his anxiety as he, as he brings himself under the submission of the Father as he's going to face this, this pain. But, but here he prays for us. So follow along as I read through this lengthy but deeply important passage. John 17, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, of course, the context we've just been talking about, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this, this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, 
and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, and I have guided them, guarded them, and they have not, not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In this prayer, Jesus prays for a number of things for his disciples, and ultimately for us. The first one here that he prays for is he prays for believers' protection. He says, keep them. Keep them. This has the idea of, of keeping watch, preserving, watching over them. And he says, I've guarded them, and it's the same Greek word actually, keep them. I've guarded them. I've kept them. And now he's praying that God the Father would keep and protect his own. Because Jesus is so aware that the next season in their lives is going to be very tumultuous, very unstable, full of confusion in the initial stages because they're still processing what's going on. They've been waiting for the kingdom to come, and now Jesus is about to be arrested, tried, and crucified, and this is going to throw them into a tailspin because even though Jesus has been preparing them for this, they haven't fully gotten it. And so Jesus is praying that they would be protected. It's going to get intense. It's, it's going to get hostile. In the same manner, Jesus continues to pray for our protection. The, these are challenging days, and, and I don't like to whine about it because these are also days of tremendous opportunity, but they are challenging days. And people in leadership today are facing enormous pressure. It's not just workload. People have always worked hard, but pressure. Pressure from within, pressure from without, economic pressure, social pressure, societal pressure, cultural pressure, constituent pressure, internal pressure, spiritual pressure, all these kinds of pressures that present leaders in ministry, marketplace settings are facing. And here's the upside to encourage you. You're going to face all of that and more. Because we find ourselves increasingly living in a cultural context which is not only disinterested in our message, but actually hostile to our message. Again, this is a time of opportunity, but this is our reality. And we're going to have to be strong. And here we are in school, right? A wonderful protective greenhouse. And I mean that in all the affirming ways I can communicate it. Because Brockers is a very similar context as yours. But it will be challenging when we leave these halls and when we're no longer in the greenhouse and the pressures and the assaults will take place with tremendous force. And so 
one of the objectives your, 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 your teachers and your leaders have here is to make you strong. I like the wording of boot camp. This, is, this needs to be a spiritual boot camp so that you, you're strong in the face of those pressures. And Jesus here is praying that we'd be protected. Can I tell, can I tell you what's going to happen to some of you? Many of you? Perhaps to varying degrees, all of you? When I, I'm a graduate of Barakas, and when, when I think back to, to some of the students I went to school with, some are doing remarkably incredible, remarkably great things for, for God. And some are in the ditch. And here's what's going to happen when you leave here. You, you, you are going to have some unanswered prayers, and you're going to have some disappointment, and you're going to be ticked off and angry with God, and you're going to have to process that. And some of you are going to go off to university, and you're going to have a prof whose passion is to disassemble any faith or any biblical worldview you have. And you're going to meet some really nice people who are far from God. You're going to meet some nice Muslims and some nice Hindus, and you're going to be quite impacted by that. And some of you gals are going to meet a wonderful guy, good career aspirations, courteous, kind, treats you with respect, and has absolutely no interest in your faith. And some of you guys are going to meet some girl, and she's bright, and she's funny, and she responds well to you, and she's attractive, and, and you're captured by her, and she actually is quite angry with the church. And all of these forces are going to be at work in your life, pulling you away. And Jesus prays for our protection, that the Father would keep us in his grip. Well, read on, verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He prays for our joy. I love this. I love this. Because what happens in the face of challenge, in the face of pressure, in the face of disappointment, and then when sometimes even bitterness uh, seeps in, we get a little disillusioned and sometimes cynical. And we got a sour face. <laughs> and Jesus here prays that we'd be a happy bunch, that we'd be full of joy, that we would juice life with all of its richness. Listen, I, I, I love the church. And the church is at times been tough on me. And I love what I, I love my job. I don't love every day, though. But I love my job. And, and, and so for us to, to remind ourselves afresh of the good things we have in God and the good things we have in our world, even though we're faced by challenges, here Jesus prays that our lives would be characterized by joy, by an effervescence, by a magnetic attraction that people would, would actually want to be with us and want to identify with, with our faith. He continues. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them, again, same word, that you keep them from the evil one, again, protection. And then he says this very succinctly. They are not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth your word is truth. Jesus prays for our protection. He prays for our joy, and he prays for our sanctification. 
this is for our transformation. This is for our holiness. This is for how we, in time, begin to look more like Jesus. And he says the way that happens is by activating biblical truth in our lives. I love 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's from God. It's sourced in God. And it's profitable. It's beneficial for us. For what? For teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So here, here's, here's how, the, how the Word works. We get the content. We get content. We get biblical truth. Teaching for reproof. Then that biblical content identifies lies, faulty thinking, idolatry, thoughts and values and, 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 and principles and axioms and worldviews which are, which are godless or, or, or distorted. And then teaching, reproof, correction. Then it takes those lies, excises them, and then replaces those lies with truth. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Then, then we go from the mind into behavior. And as we apply the living word, we change. We change the way we think, and we change the way we behave. We change the way we process, and the way we construct, and then the way we act. And in that process, the sanctification work by the Spirit is taking place in our lives. And so Jesus here prays for our, our protection. He prays for our joy, and he prays for our sanctification that we would increasingly look more and more like Jesus, that we'd look more and more like him, that we'd be set apart because we're not from this world. And this whole motif of aliens, it really is, is accurate. It's true. And so Jesus prays to that end. And then he prays, look at verse 18. He prays for our mission. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus ends his words with the disciples, and the different gospel accounts have different, uh, different phrases that they're quoting from his, his last conversations with the disciples. But John records this same phrase. Peace I leave you with. Uh, as the Father sent me, so, so send I you. This is about mission. Jesus, in his incarnation, was all about mission. Becoming a man to share with us God's plan of redemption and reconciliation and bringing us back into relation with him. And he's saying, as the Father sent me, as I came as a missionary, as I came incarnate, so I'm sending you mission. And he prays that we would be faithful to our mission. So as I said just a few minutes ago, the, the, the kind of context we live in, our message is viewed with hostility. In fact, in fact, let's face it, the most culturally insensitive thing we can do is share our faith. When you think of the Canadian context of tolerance, the, the most the greatest effrontery we could ever dish out is to actually believe that we have a message that you need to hear and embrace. 
that exclusive message of Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, Father but through, through me. And yet that is our mission. And the cultural context that we find ourselves in is constantly seeking to suppress that and silence us in this regard. And Jesus knows that it's going to be upon us. And the temptation we will have is to remain in these kinds of holy, sanctified contexts and huddles, whereby it's safe, but we're too afraid to communicate our faith beyond. But that's our mission. And Jesus prays that we be faithful to our mission. Robert Clinton did a study of biblical leaders. He said he found that 70% of biblical leaders failed to finish well. Some ended up in the ditch, but many of them just drifted. They just, they just didn't do what God was calling them to do. And so Jesus knows that the temptation to disengage, to quit, will be upon all of us. Here's a little nugget, a little axiom for, for any kind of ministry setting, not necessarily vocational, but just any kind of ministry setting. You and I need to blast through some difficult seasons. When we blast through a difficult season, we develop resilience. But here's the life cycle, particularly students, you've gone through. These increments of three or four, and so you're in high school, four years, college, three, four years, then your first job, two, three, maybe four years, and things get difficult. And you think, well, the Lord must be leading me somewhere else. Now, there are times, there, there are times when environments become so toxic you need to get out. But there are all kinds of cases <laughs> in, in biblical history where, where God placed his people in very difficult situations and said, figure it out. Stay there. Endure. Do what I'm calling you to do. Fulfill your mission. Don't quit. So I've come to my context after being a pastor for 30 years. And the church I was serving in before coming here was, was a church in Burlington, Ontario. I served there 19 years. And I think probably every four or five years, I went through a really intense season where, you know, my letter of resignation was in the top drawer. It was, it was ready. The thing from the ink, I was still dry. It was, it, I was ready to, to disengage. And, and the first time I went through that wave of intense, intense, intense opposition, I so badly wanted to quit, but I, ha I knew I had to break through that and resist that desire to quit. You will have those kinds of temptations, and you will have those kinds of pressures, and you will want to disengage from your mission. And Jesus knows that, and so he prays that we would not disengage. As the Father had sent him, so he's sending us to be true to the mission. And then he talks about unity. He prays for our unity. Look at the last movement here in this passage. I did not ask for those, these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So here he's, he's saying, I'm not just praying for the disciples. I'm praying for every follower of mine who comes after them. That's you and I right here today in 2017. That they may all be what? One. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them. 
that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus here prays for our unity, and he prays for unity in the context of his own identity as a part of the triune God. I mean, here's the beauty of community. Here's the beauty of, of relationship. God is a relational being. God is an eternal community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when he creates us in his image, of all the things it means, one of the things it certainly means is that we are relational beings. We long for and need to live in community. And that's why it's not good for a man to be alone. We need each other. And Jesus here prays for our unity, and he anchors it to the unity that he has with the Father. And in the chapters before, he's been talking about the sending of the Holy Spirit. Because God is, by definition, an eternal community. That is our model. This is who God is. And when we don't live in community, we are fundamentally violating the very nature of God. So he prays for our unity. Now, Mark and I were just chatting about this really briefly in his, in his office before we came. We were just talking a little bit about some various themes. And, and in so many ways, I think your generation really values this and really wants to enforce and pursue and honor this virtue. I want to cheer you on in that regard, but let me say, we, we, we continue to live in a world which likes to draw very distinctive sentient and non-sentient boundaries. And, and, and the way we relate to each other, are you in our club? And so, are you part of the seeker movement? Are you part of the coalition? Are you part of Vineyard? Are you part of, part of the Alliance Network? Are you part of Anglican? And hear me correctly, I'm pro multiple denominations. We are trans-denominational school. We have some 60 denominations at our school. You likely have the same makeup. So it's, it, let's honor those distinctives. But where we have a high view of Scripture, and we have a high view of Christ, and a high view of mission, we, we've, we've got to unite because the complexities of our world which is going to hell are such that we need to honor each other and we need to work together and we need to cheer each other on and bless each other and figure out how to partner together because this is, <laughs> and this is no understatement. Preachers are notorious for exaggerations, right? But this is no understatement. This is the ultimate apologetic, right? What did Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love. And so here Jesus prays, Father, would you make them united? 
there are going to be such forces to drive a wedge between them. Would you make them united? And what we see today happening in culture, what we see happening today, can I say this particularly with our friends to the south, but it's up here too, how we treat each other with hostility and with disrespect. We don't know how to dis disagree with grace. And there's such anger and such vitriol in our language. And that seeps its way into the church. And leaders think, well, I guess this is the way you deal with people who have different opinions. Not in Jesus' world. He prays for unity. So Jesus here, the night he's going to be betrayed, he's praying for us that we be protected, that we have joy in our lives, that we be sanctified, that we be true to our mission, and that we be united. So let me ask you a question. Will this prayer be answered? I mean, Jesus is praying to his Father... Will this prayer be answered? Can this prayer be answered? How will this prayer be answered? And really, it's not like the kinds of prayers that you and I pray when we intercede for people. Will those prayers be answered? Well, I'd like to suggest yes. With this understanding. Prayer is a cooperative venture between the human and the divine. Now, just hear me out. Sanctification is a cooperative venture between the human and the divine. See, while Jesus prays for these things for us, we are not passive agents in it all. Now, let me quickly take you to a verse and then illustrate with a couple of biblical passages really quickly. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul here, speaking to believe, uh, Philippian believers, he says this, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, if you read that over again, you'll see, whoa, 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 wait, he just contradicted himself. Work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Work it out like you would work out a math problem, okay? Work out your salvation. Because after all, it's God who is working in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So which is it? Is it us or is it God? And it's obvious answer. It's, it's both, right? It's both. Two quick illustrations. Uh, Luke 17, these group of lepers come to Jesus, and they know they can't get too close, or at least they feel they shouldn't get too close because they've been, they've been, they've been cast out of the community of faith and cast out of the community, period. Their only friends are each other. And, hey, Jesus, would you heal us? And Jesus takes compassion, shows compassion, and he says to them this. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. Why? Because it was the priests then who would say, well, now you're, you're cleansed. Now you can have reentry into the community. Okay, because they were alienated. So Jesus says, okay, go show yourselves the priests. And they're looking at each other. We're still lepers. We're still, and the verse says, and you can look at it, Luke 17. It says, as they went, they were healed. Had they not gone to show themselves the priests, they probably still would have remained in their leper, leper state. But they trundled off to the priests, and somewhere between here and there, God healed them. One more quick analogy, an Old Testament example. 
promised land, the edge of the promised land, on the edge of the Jordan River, Joshua says, it's time, we're going. Forty years have passed, Moses is gone, they're now entering the promised land, and he says, Levitical priests, come to the front of the line, bring the ark, you're going first. Where? Into the Jordan. And the Jordan didn't stop and dry up before they got there, the Jordan stopped when they stepped into the Jordan. Here's the life principle. When we step out, God steps in. This prayer can be answered. This prayer can be answered. But we are not passive in this prayer. We are very much dynamically active in this prayer. But this prayer will be realized when you and I cooperate with God. So Jesus prays for your protection. Don't put yourself in a high-risk situation. Jesus prays for your and my joy. Don't let cynicism hijack your character, your disposition, the countenance of your life. Jesus prays for your sanctification, for your transformation, for your godliness, for your holiness. Don't get sucked into the ditch. Jesus prays that you and I be faithful to our mission. Don't quit. Blast through. And Jesus prays for our unity. Don't let little things, usually human things, usually things related to pride, don't let them divide. Step out. Cooperate with God. And then let Him step in and bring reality and power to this prayer. Father in heaven, we read in Scripture that your Spirit prays for us. We read here in this passage that Jesus is praying for us. Father, we have access to the presence and to the power of Almighty God. These prayers can become a reality in our experience. But we remind ourselves afresh today that we are not passive in this. And so, Father, would you give us sobriety of understanding? Would you give us a sense of responsibility? Help us to see that we, we need to make good initial steps. But thank you that you then empower us along the way. And so, Father, these are challenging days. From all the trending we see, they will only intensify these challenging days. And these challenging days ought not to be feared, for these days also come with a tremendous opportunity. But God, we must be strong. We want to be strong in you. Thank you for praying for us. Make your prayer true in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go in peace.